What's Baking Cake Nation and welcome back to the Chemistry Cake online podcast where chatting about chemistry has never been sweeter. Chemistry Cake is online and today airs the fourth episode in our inorganic chemistry season. If you're just tuning in and missed our previous episodes, I do encourage you to go give them a listen because we got to learn some pretty cool inorganic chemistry with some very cool people and good friends of mine. But however, folks, I am so excited, so hyped to chat with today's guest because I was recommended to reach out to this incredible chemist by another friend. Shout out to Dr. Carrera Joko uh, because they're, because of their ardent love for copper. And just a quick plug, uh, you can follow Dr. K on Twitter at the Copper Doctor, which will uh, be linked in the description of this episode. Anyway. Today's sweet guest received their GED at Community College and then transferred to a four-year university and received their bachelor's degree in biochemistry with an emphasis in bioorganic enzymology at Portland State University, worked as a technician at Oregon Graduate Institute, and finished the doctorate in biochemistry and molecular biology at Oregon Health and Science University, and uh, is now an associate professor of chemistry at Reed College. Cake Nation, will you help me in giving a fresh out the oven warm welcome to today's sweet guest, Dr. Kelly Chacon. Uh, Kelly, thank you so much for joining me to chat today. I am so hyped to learn more about your science, but uh, I do want to ask before we do that, how you were doing today. Thank you, Cake. Uh, what a warm welcome. Uh, I'm doing well today. It's a beautiful day in Portland, Oregon. It's one of those cold, crisp, blue sky days where the birds are just flitting outside. And um, yeah, it, tomorrow, yeah, it's going to be a good week, I think. Oh, that's so lovely. I It is a little overcast in San Diego, but the air is crisp, so I'm not mm. mad about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's been it's been surprisingly warm like warmer than usual. So I, I do appreciate the cool, the coolness and the temperature. Mm. Um, so. Also, okay, so I do have one more question before we dive right into your science, because Great. I was extraordinarily intrigued by something that you mentioned previously regarding your favorite molecule, which you said was cadaverine or yeah. pentane diamine. I, and if my speculation is correct, I have a hunch of what this molecule is, but your reason for why this is your favorite molecule intrigues me even more. So I was wondering if you wouldn't mind telling the listeners at home why this is your favorite molecule. I do not mind. Well, first of all, uh, when I was an undergraduate, I was taking organic chemistry. And as the final term of that year, we got to, those of us who qualified got to take um, an honors chemistry, organic chemistry lab. So it was like just majors essentially. And you had this final project where you were given this unknown vial of some kind of a compound and you had to do all of these different tests to figure out what it is, including NMR, but also a lot of different kinds of things. And so my lab partner, because we were kind of roughly in partners, although each of us had our own uh, molecule that we had to isolate, and a lot of them were nitrogen containing because there's so many tests that you can do um, on nitrogen or amine containing compounds that will help you to figure out what these things are. And I just remember that my lab partner had this one vial um, and every time that she opened it, even if it was in the hood, the stench of death would just sort of <laughs> waft over the room. <laughs> 
And so people would just be like, no, Emily, don't do it. And she'd be like, I have to, I got to pass the class, you know? <laughs> so it turned out that she had cadaverine and, um, <laughs> and I was fascinated by this um, because, wow, who knew that the stench of, of death, what we know of as a <laughs> um, is this really simple little nitrogen containing compound that is a byproduct of amino acids and I think the urea cycle as well. Like there's a lot with nitrogen um, homeostasis and metabolism. So then when I was teaching uh, at Reed College for my first year, I was really fascinated because, you know, professors, they may not say this, but they are learning often right along with the students in the class because, mm-hmm. of course, I've taken these courses in the past and I, I did well in them. But teaching them, teaching me- metabolism is a big class. And so I really started to get the big picture finally as sort of a grown up of what metabolism was and the decay of all of that work. That, that humans do and organisms do to beat entropy um, during death, all of that just starts to reverse itself. And one of the biggest uh, things that is produced is putrescine and cadaverine. And so it's just fascinating to me. Um, and I, I, I just really think that those human waste byproducts, <laughs> the indole as well, you know, mm-hmm. indole is a pretty stinky one that has to do with feces. And I just think that those sort of scatological or decaying types of compounds are the most fascinating to me because of what they mean in terms of, you know, staying alive and not staying alive. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I like, that's the first one that comes to mind. Okay, um, did you say putrescine? Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. And that, those are very aptly descriptive yes. names. Um, I love that. <laughs> but also, I think I think just I'm. Do either of these molecules have sulfur in them? I, you know what, I don't know about putrescine, but I think it's also just a nitrogen-containing one. Here, I'm gonna look oh, it up man. right here. Putrescine. Okay, because I know like there are a lot of sulfur-containing compounds that are just rancid. Oh yeah, and... no, it's the same. It's just literally a little carbon chain with two amines appended to the end of it, basically. And a couple of, it can have a couple extra nitrogens in there as well. I, I think the most, well, first and foremost, um, hashtag the stench of death is probably now <laughs> one of my favorite just phrases. I don't, I, I don't know why, but that's just hilarious in my mind grapes. But also, um, I think just now that we're talking about chemistry, that, yeah, uh, is responsible for stenches. The, I think the worst thing that I have smelled, um, and I, I'm forgetting the molecule that apparently you have to put in like agar gel to like. Apparently, a lot of people find that particular molecule. Oh, beta mercaptoethanol. Um, oh yeah, I, I'm not particularly like I don't find that repulsive. What I do find repulsive yeah. is pyridine. Um, oh yes. I oh, that's really acrid. Yeah. Like I. I can tell because I have students that have to work with pyridine and I can smell it from across the lab, like and <laughs> in, in small quantities. And I'm like, keep that in the hood. And they're like, yeah. I'm just cleaning up my glassware. And I'm like, oh, OK, just do it quickly. <laughs> um, because, folks, if you have never smelled pyridine, it's like Ugh. it's like when you open the fridge and you like 
try to sniff your milk, whole milk, not your alternative milks, your whole milk, and it smells rancid, like take that and amplify it by a thousand and you have period. It is re- it's just wretched, awful yes. stuff. But like who to thunk that nitrogen would, would do such a thing? Like how, how could you? Anyway. I um, think we are just, you know, evolved to definitely <laughs> smell nitrogen compounds as a byproduct mm-hmm. of amino acid decay. And it's nature's way of saying, don't eat me. And yeah. so I think that's really it is like our receptors are designed to say, if it's got a nitrogen in it like that, it must not be okay. Right. So I, I, I was going to ask if you had worked with this molecule, but I guess you have it. I, I mean, like you were the one who worked with this molecule, your, your partner was. Yeah, it was uh, uh, by is- proxy. Oh man, holy cannoli. Mine just smelled kind of fishy. I think I might've had pyridine actually. So that's really funny. Um, but yeah, I didn't have the same problem. I was like, poor okay. Emily. Oh man, I uh, see. And you know, like I, I know that like certain molecules have certain smells, but I think one of my favorite, and people are probably going to come at me for this, but one of my favorite molecules, like in terms of aromatically, um, and obviously I'm just wafting it. Yes. um, Is benzaldehyde. Oh yeah. People say that it tastes, it smells like almonds, like bitter almonds. I have never had a bitter almond because I'm allergic to them. For me, it smells very strongly of cherries. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's actually, yeah, that's really common. And I love the taste of, for example, maraschino cherries, which use almond extract 100% to get that delicious uh, smell. So for me, cherry does taste like almonds. And when the new sort of bougie cherries came out in cocktails, I was like, this doesn't taste like the the cherry I know. (laughs) Give me a maraschino. Oh man. Definitely. Um, Yeah, there's definitely a lot of good smells. I think one of my favorite ones, I actually like the smell of eugenol, but when it's fresh, like the clove oil. So when kids are doing, when students are doing like the distillation of different things, not banana oil, but I love the clove one the first day, Mm -hmm. but then it decays. Mm. And to me, that smells very ripe. So, oh, oh, dang. Double-edged sword. I I do enjoy the smell of isoamyl acetate. That was what people would say. <laughs> I, I, I do. Like, and, and if people want to know why, we can talk about that in another episode. But anyway, so. Yes. So <laughs> this, uh, okay, so this uh, molecule uh, was, you worked with, or rather your, your partner worked with um, in, in lab. Uh, yeah. As a class. So, so then what chemistry are you working on? That's a great question, Cake. So um, I will preface this by talking a little bit about the copper work that I did before. But in a nutshell, I am obsessed with the secret handshakes between proteins, partner proteins, um, that are moving a metal from one place to another. And sometimes this is broadly termed as metal ion homeostasis. Um, I would say that that's a much broader sort of picture, which a lot of awesome colleagues of mine are working on. I am much more of a detail oriented where I'm looking at specific protein systems. So for example, um, in my graduate work, I, I worked on a protein called copper A and it had two copper centers and it's part of complex four of the electron transport chain. And so basically the electron transport chain is what most things use if you aren't a plant or special kinds of algae or um, things like that. But basically all the electrons from the food that you eat 
get stripped away from the food molecules and then go through this pathway. And the electrons are used from metal to metal. They sort of hop along and do work to translocate protons so that you can have ATP, which is the energy currency of the cell. So this final docking point is called complex four. And this little protein has these two coppers in it. And each one of them is very close together. They actually bind covalently to each other, which is very relatively rare for transition metals to actually covalently share you know, electrons, but they do. And they're held together by the scaffolding of amino acids that finely tunes the redox potential of this site. And one of the coppers is in the plus one oxidation state and the other one is in the plus two oxidation state. And they sort of blend together to have this oxidation state of 1.5. And what it does is it acts as a superconductor for electrons going from complex three to go through to their final destination to help split oxygen and respire. And so what we didn't understand is how those two coppers were installed in that protein in the first place. And there was a lot of argument about that. And so this was a long problem. And so what I did is, um, and this will inform the rest of my research, is I used a variety of inorganic chemistry techniques, as well as a lot of pretty hardcore uh, spectroscopy to figure out what happens when you just add copper to this protein in a, in a test tube and then monitor that spectroscopically. And what I was able to find is that there was a green, so this protein, when it's assembled and it has both coppers, is purple, beautiful, oh. beautiful purple. Uh, and that has to do with a lot of the different electronic transitions going on. And so it was great when I isolated this protein. It was just the perfect, I think my hair was colored that when I was a teenager, like manic, <laughs> manic panic plum, you know, that was the color. And so what I figured out is when you added one copper two to this, that you had this really stable intermediate that was chartreuse, just like the liqueur, Ooh. just the most beautiful green color. And so what we were able to kind of figure out is from the inorganic basic chemistry point of view, this thing seems to go through two key states of methylation before it's matured. And that helps, you know, biologists and biochemists per se to figure out what proteins could be responsible for doing that. And so then I moved on to a copper and silver um, bacterial efflux pump. So in the host pathogen interface, which is kind of a buzzword and just break in if you want to say anything, Cake. I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep going for a second. Unless oh, yeah. stop. Please do. Okay, great. Go on. Oh, if I must. Oh, no, please I'm do. so excited to. Um, so then I was really interested in this copper silver efflux pump. Um, there was a woman named Megan McAvoy who really pioneered this and did some excellent work on this uh, system. Um, but we needed a little bit more of a structural approach at that point, And that was kind of our specialty of x-ray absorption spectroscopy. And so this pump resists a host, meaning the human that ate a bad piece of lettuce or something like that. And E. coli got in there that is very resistant to most forms of human intervention. Um, and when this E. coli gets eaten up by the host, uh, the host actually pumps in copper ions as well as other stuff, but this is what I was focused on. And so these copper ions either bind to important proteins in the bacteria or provide free radicals that will gum up you know, genetic material, what have you. But these bad bacteria have figured out how to just pump it right out using a very, very specific to silver and copper pump. And so I used x-ray absorption spectroscopy as well as stopped flow, um, UV-vis spectrophotometry, and rapid freeze quench to actually get the kinetic 
and the structural details of what is happening with all of the proteins involved with this pump. And I was able to activate it in vitro in a test tube and show what amino acids were actually carrying these metals along. And so the hope is if you can understand that, you can kind of shut it down. Again, using basic chemistry, basic inorganic technique and spectroscopy to open up uh, ways to study this in more of the biological or biochemical realm. And so now that I'm in my independent research, I have a lot of collaborations with different folks doing zinc work and um, iron work and also copper work with my PhD advisor. But now I'm really interested in a detox system for tellurium ions in bacteria. So I've dove in to chalcogens. um, And the fact is we just don't understand much about tellurium. It's right below selenium on the periodic table. Uh, selenium was believed not to be biologically relevant until we found the 21st amino acid, selenocysteine. And Ooh. so part of this is, again, just sort of my shtick of let's look at the basic chemistry of how tellurium ions interact with living organisms, especially ones who have to deal with it on a daily basis, like bacteria that may be in mining sites or electronics waste, and mm-hmm. see what's going on because these bacteria are able to take tellurium ions and reduce them to elemental tellurium, which is really sought after um, and less toxic. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was what I got my NSF career award for, which is very new. Paint, the, the ink is still dry. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> so that's what I'm going to be working on. And my undergraduates at Reed College, because it's just undergraduates, are doing mm. a great job helping me figure out what's going on. Okay, first of all, heck yes, we love to see undergrads <laughs> doing research. Secondly, yes. I'm going to backtrack a few things because um, sure, yeah. all of that, wow, first and foremost, mind blown. Um, I think you'd mentioned copper, copper, covalent bonding. Like, yeah. I, I, feel like, I feel like that just point in itself, folks, covalent bonding for things that are not carbon or like organic, like it just blows my mind like exactly like, I don't I feel like you like just like went like just like said that very casually and I was like hold on a second COVID <laughs> between metals like this is not uh. um also I you said something along you said um you mentioned copper one and copper two I love mixed valency yes uh, that's something that I'm interested in, but more specifically with iron oh yeah magnetism and how that affects the magnetism and if we can like see that if we can calculate the ratios of iron two and iron three in certain systems um that's pretty cool yeah also purple folks just purple as a color just in general is like i i don't know if people know how like difficult it is to get purple yes um there either has to be just a lot of like delocalization of charge Mm -hmm. in like organic molecules or like some kind of like just charge transfer with metals so that is incredible um also chartreuse like (laughs) i i love chartreuse people can at me if they want but like a gorgeous color i love it Um, and seeing those kinds of colors are also at least just colors that I'm not used to seeing. So like I often see pink, orange, off-white. Yes. Um, I see, I do see purple sometimes, but that's also because I'm working with a just vastly conjugated system. Um, and then oh, right, right, right. Purple turns into black. So it it's like, <laughs> ah, yes, I have like that nice little tinge of purple. It's fine. 
Um, that's cool. Also, okay, I did have a question with regard to your copper silver system. Are yeah. is like, are they? are they like existing in the same system, but not necessarily interacting with each other or are they bonded in some way? Yeah. So uh, the, one of the questions that I get often um, when I was talking about this work is like, why silver? Why would this be the case? And I'll just preface this by saying that Megan did some amazing work um, Mm -hmm. with like exhaustive testing, you know, what kind of small molecules, what can we do? Because a lot of these types of, detox pumps or efflux pumps are part of the problem with antibiotic resistance in that these ABC transporters can chew up just about anything. Well, this isn't an ABC transporter and it's got specific ligation um, in in the first shell, meaning the first things that are actually immediately bound to the copper or silver that make it highly specific. And the way that we can tell that in biology is by binding affinity, by association and dissociation constants. And so there are biologically relevant constants for these things. And what Megan found was, wow, this is really specific to just silver and copper. And now that said, why would silver be involved in this? Mm -hmm. Um, Copper and silver are known to co-mineralize in the environment. Mm -hmm. And so E. coli, I often say, have to live by the seat of their pants. They can't not let things in because then they're not letting in nutrients. And metals and metal ions are one of those micronutrients that they can't block it out. And so if copper's coming in and that's a good thing, well, some silver's going to get in there too. Mm -hmm. And so they needed to have a system. And I believe, I don't think they're isoelectronic. I don't think they have the same number of electrons and I can be wrong on this. I'm okay with that. But I believe their size and their relative hardness uh, or borderline basically hard soft acid base theory, which is an interesting thing to look up, but they have very similar preferences in terms of what they like to bind to. So it's sulfur, nitrogen ligands, and in particular, methionine, which is a sulfur that has um, two carbons attached to it, sort of softening that covalency that sulfur wants to have with the copper or the silver in that case. And so methionine, basically, these amino acids were traveling through the main pump, almost in a form called a methionine wire. And some really beautiful crystallographic work showed this. And so we were able to take that and say, okay, what do we think is going to happen? And silver really preferred the sulfur uh, ligation sphere, but it didn't mind a little nitrogen either. But copper loves to have that mixed, or at least copper one in this case, um, had this mixed sphere of a little bit of nitrogen, a little bit of methionine, and then it could flux and it could move. That's so cool. It's way cool. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around this, folks. Like, if you could see my facial expression right now, it's just really of awe and wonder because I love chemistry. <laughs> this is so cool. I, I, I you know, I. I often overlook a lot of the other metals because it's if, if it's not magnetically active, I'm just like, well, then I'm not interested. But that's not true because I am I am interested. Um, but now there was something that I and, you know, like um, very cool to hear that you're working with zinc. Zinc perplexes me <laughs> uh, primarily because it's not magnetically active. Right. In fact, I think people use zinc because it's not magnetically active. And I'm like, but it needs to have magnet. Like anyway, (laughs) Um, but then copper is like, it's like, it's, it it has, 
Um, iron is my favorite. Everyone knows this. <laughs> iron, I love, I mean, like, and, you know, I think I was talking about this with Cole Carter earlier in, in the season, uh, how, like, I am basic for loving iron, but, like, but, like, iron is so versatile that, like, why wouldn't you love iron? Um, there's just, uh, magnets, folks, magnets. Um, that is such a great point, Kate, because what yeah. I was going to say is that, yeah, I was working with a copper two, copper one mix system for a while, and I could do all these great things like electron paramagnetic resonance. I could use mm -hmm. UV vis for those lovely yeah. charge transfer, and I could even quantify using copper two EDTA and other things, Ooh. how much of the copper two was actually present because that is magnetic, that is, you know, yeah. active in an EPR. And so I actually was able to use that to quantify how much copper two and whether or not I had fully formed the perfect 50-50 mix. And then in the case of isolating that green intermediate, showing that there was no copper one present. And then Ooh. as I started to work with the CUS system, which is the copper sensing system of E. coli, that copper silver pump, uh, we're confronted with a very different problem. And that's where I became very interested in finding in-lab techniques to look at so-called silent metals, silent mm -hmm. metals like zinc, like copper one. These are not perturbable by light in the same way that copper two is. The yeah. D electrons are happy and they really don't want to be bothered. And so not only do you have to get a bigger beam of, of light to work with these, and so X-ray absorption spectroscopy is necessary there, Mm -hmm. um, but I also found a way to use native protein fluorescence in lab mm. to report on where the metal was. And so the CUS system had a single tryptophan in the active site. Tryptophan is very fluorescently active, at least if it's not solvent exposed. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we were able to do is when the metal wasn't bound to one of the chaperone proteins as part of the efflux pump, um, we saw a huge tri uh, tryptophan signal. Then I shot that in the stop flow with copper one or a protein containing copper one, and that fluorescence would disappear with time as it took on the metal. So we're able to get in lab, and this worked with um, tyrosine and zinc as well with my collaborator, Eric Uckel at New Mexico State University. So I love these indirect ways uh, combined with X-ray absorption spectroscopy, which does give you the ligand sets, the oxidation state, um, and the relative electronic properties in some ways that you couldn't get by just trying to look at it in UV vis. You couldn't see it. That's so cool. <laughs> I love that so much. Like, I, I have no words because this is so cool and my mind is exploding because it's just like, wow, this is so, like, I hope and folks at home, like if y'all know my particular background, right? I love metals. I work with metals. I'm working with an organic polymer, but I was also working um, before with a little bit of biochemistry. So I was working with a protein. It was ferritin. Um, hence my love mm. for iron, just in case that wasn't a theme already. And so this, just like hearing about proteins, is just like to my heart's delight. And then hearing about metals also comes at my heart's delight. But also then hearing about like, okay, we can't directly study this. So we're just going to try and find like a way around it. And I love that. It's, yeah. so creative. it's just like, wow, I would have never thought of that. And here you are doing it. And I'm just like, I just, amazing, incredible, phenomenal, remarkable, amazing. Oh, you would wow. love the work by Aaron T. Smith, my other collaborator, who's at um, University of Maryland, Baltimore. Mm -hmm. County, and he is an iron 
uh, protein person, and we've done some really cool work together. So you'll have to check that out. Oh, that's so exciting. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, oh, Kelly. I'm this, loving this cake. <laughs> I, and this was so learnful. I love it so much. Like my, my mind, truly blown. And I, I'm not mad about that whatsoever. It's fine. I'm enjoying it. It's great. Good, good, good. Um, okay. However, it does look like we are nearing the end of our chat. But, but, of course, not before I ask the most important question of this chat and consequently the namesake of this podcast. Yes. Are you ready for it? Oh, ready. Okay. What is your favorite cake flavor and why? You know, let me just say something that's a little bit controversial, okay. which is that I am not team frosting. You know what? That's I, I don't like frosting, but you know mm-hmm. what I like? Do you know? I like um, I like a glaze. I'm a ooh. glaze. I really love bunt cake. Ooh. Yes. Love a bunt. Um, bros that bunt is a great Instagram. It's not just bros. Uh, and they are a bunch of chemists amazing. who make bunt cakes all the time. And it's amazing. Um, and so I watch that for my, you know, sort of bunt cake fix. But I love citrus cakes. I love orange. I love lemon. I love key lime. And then I like the glaze to have that citrus in there with like the, you know, little shavings of uh, what do you call it lemon zest 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 yeah, yeah. zesty, zesty. And, um, just nothing like a perfect soft piece of lemon cake like even at starbucks or something if there's that lemon cake and it looks fresh i'm in it mm-hmm. i am in it with a nice oh. cup of coffee oh yes okay oh, or tea like, okay. like you said oh, you like a, you like a, a black we- tea i do too we, yes. Okay, folks, we're talking about this. This is important. People need to know about the fav- flavor profiles and texture profiles of this. Okay. Okay. First and foremost, citrus cake. Yes. Love it. Refreshing. Um, I actually recently, my sig fig had made for my birthday um, an olive oil citrus cake. Mm. And I was like, did you glaze this? Um, and apparently it w- there was just, you know, a little bit of powdered sugar um, just like yes. thrown on the top, but that made a glaze because it was just so, just so moist with like the the citrus, and I was like, this is both decadent and refreshing, and I don't know how those two can exist in one cake, but oh, it does. So and good. I like had it with my morning tea, like Irish breakfast, English breakfast. It cuts the the bitterness if you oversteep your tea so like it's love it just marries so beautifully yeah. coffee if you're that type of person like mm, amazing love it I oh so good so folks folks if you ever get like a citrus cake and you want to have like a beverageina with it <laughs> um I I recommend black tea or um coffee like just a heartier warm beverage unsweetened to like just marry all of those flavors, textures, just love it. Completely Amazing. Agree. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. This was such a sweet time, Kelly. Thank you so much <laughs> for joining me today. I had, I really did have a lovely time. Oh, I did too. Thank you for inviting me. And it's so nice to talk to someone about chemistry who's as excited as I am. That's great. And who appreciates a purple protein. Because come oh, on. Yes. How cool is that? hashtag purple proteins like, <laughs> like it's gonna be a thing yep, it's, um, it. it's the new thing 
here it is. Like hashtag stench of death. Hashtag purple <laughs> proteins. That is. That is. <laughs> oh man. Oh, it's so good. So uh, good. Amazing. <sighs> um, and to the listeners at home, we hope you enjoyed our chat and learned something new today. If you would like to follow the many adventures of Dr. Kelly Shahan, you can follow them on Twitter at Kelly underscore N underscore Chacon. Uh, and you can visit their website at www.read.edu forward slash chemistry forward slash Chacon. And those will be linked in the description of this episode. Of course, if you would like to join the Cake Nation and hop aboard the hype train, choo choo, you are welcome to follow me at, uh, on Twitter at Chemistry Cake. A friendly reminder that the winner of the giveaway will be announced next week. So make sure to get your submissions in. Um, okay, folks, that's all we've got for you today. Don't forget to stay hydrated, to keep the hype alive, and to edify our village. The members of the Cake Nation stand new growth and love to see you strive to thrive. Thanks for tuning in, Cake Nation. This is Chemistry Cake signing off. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you.